friends, it is a great privilege to be with you this morning. We are starting a new series, and the name of the series is What Matters Most. It is a series about relationships. Anyone excited to speak about relationships? Yes? Immediately, I hear the wives shouting, yes, my husband's going to get it, right? Yes? Um, I'm sure tonight, even in our evening service, where there's a lot more singles, we're going to get a loud cheer. Yes? Um, but no, this relationship series is going to look a little bit uh, different. Um, what we're really trusting through this relationship is that we're going to see just how, um, how Jesus Christ designed and desires for all relationships to function, firstly centered on Him, and from that place flows something beautiful and life-giving. And that is, that is what we're going to be trusting for, that all of us are going to restructure, reprioritize, refocus our relationships as we bring Jesus into the center of that. And so we're, we're going to be talking uh, the, about all kinds of relationships. We're going to be talking about intimacy next week. We're going to be talking about conflict and reconciliation in week three. So if you like conflict, that's good, but are you, are you actually good at resolving conflict, Okay. Usually people who like conflict like to bring the conflict, but um, whether we're good in resolving it is another thing. That's going to happen week three. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about conduct. We're going to be talking about a lot of things surrounding relationships. We're really trusting God for something beautiful. And this week, I'm talking about the one and only. The one and only. No, this is not the marriage week. This is about relationship with God first. He is the one and only. He is our one and only. I'm really trusting that through today's message, firstly, all of us would be encouraged to have a life-giving and authentic relationship with God. You'll see the importance of that. And we're going to see how when that relationship is in place, how does that influence every single other relationship? So I've already prayed for this sermon um, I've already prayed for soft hearts, but I really want to encourage you to look to God in this message. To, this is so focused on Him, and yes, then there's an outflow, how it influences the rest of relationships. So there's three things I'm going to be talking about today. Number one, I'm going to be talking about the origin of all relationships. Number two, the need for true relationship that every single one of us have. And finally, the influence of God in relationships. So we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. We're going right to the beginning where everything was created, and we'll also be looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. But first, Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27. God has just created everything by His Word. He created everything. And now He gets to day 6, part 2. He's going to create human beings. And here's what happens. Verse 26. Then God says, said, let us make man in our image. Can everyone say, let us make man in our image. Thank you. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man and see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, you know, there's a slung and there's spin a cup um, and there's, there's lion and there's, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast on the field and, and he had dogs with him, but for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. I know we love our woofies, but he needed a helper. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon them, or the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place of flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man made into a woman, brought her to the man. Then the man said, oh my word, the first time that man speaks in the Bible, it's when he sees the woman. probably knew he's got to take his opportunities while he has them, right, to speak. He's not going to talk much after. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My wife and I had a conflict last night where she said to me, I'm talk- I talk too much. So, <laughs> This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Can everyone say naked and not ashamed? Thank you. Number one, the origin of all relationships. Let's get into this. Now throughout the whole creation account, we see God referring to himself in the singular. The Bible says, then God spoke, then his word, God created with his word, and God said, and God, and God, singular. And when God gets to the creation of man, for the first time, he says, let us make man in our image, okay? Why? Well, this, we know today, this is Trinitarian talk. We see fulfilled in the New Testament, there's this Constant theme throughout the whole New Testament. Um, one Father, one Son, one Spirit. We see Matthew 28, baptized name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. There's this Trinity who are in one, but out of this place, God says, let us, let the three of us, who is one, three in one, every single one different, but the other one, and all of them fully God and just one God. Okay, yes. The Trinity is not meant to be completely, logically, necessarily understood. I think a God small enough for our brains would not be large enough for our needs. But there's Trinitarian talk here. And if God is Trinity, then that changes the whole thing of creation, the whole, the whole relational creation. Because if you think about this, the Eastern idea of creation is that God is an impersonal divine force incapable of relationship. In his singular form, he created you 
your personality, your individuality is just an illusion because when you die, you're the drop that goes back into the ocean. Western um, polytheism, this is the Greek gods, the Roman gods, way back, they believed that God came out of a swamp called Tiamat. And always there was a time when there was nothing. And then one individual emerged and created everything. If we look at the atheistic idea, then relationship and community developed as a means to survival. Today, relationship and community is a means to something else, right? You just have relationships that you need to have for you to attain what you need to attain and what you need to achieve. But if God, from a place of community from a place of relationship, said, hey, let us, then that does not make relationship a means to something. It makes relationship the end. Not a means to an end, but the end. So God, as a community of persons for all eternity, delighting in one another from all of creation, from from the beginning of time, creates and he places love and relationship at the center of creationship, of, of creation relationship. And he creates from that place, okay? And he places that in the center of creation. So, so if God, the origin of relationship already comes from before time, okay? And from that place, God creates. And it makes relationship much more valuable than just a means to attaining something else. But... If from God came in relationship, then what kind of relationship? I believe it or not, I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually three creation accounts in the Bible. We just read one in Genesis. The other one comes from Proverbs chapter 8. Now in Proverbs chapter 8, we see something incredible happening. We're seeing that Proverbs is talking about wisdom. Okay, it's talking about God's wisdom And it's personifying wisdom, and it says wisdom was there with God when God created. Verse 27 to 29, I'm paraphrasing, it says, I was there. Wisdom says, I was there when he created everything. I was there when he created the skies, the heavens, the fountains, the foundations of the earth. I was there. Look at what verse 30 and 31 says. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his Delight, God's delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This is pretty incredible, right? This is a creation account. So wisdom was there, but isn't this just personification of wisdom as being a characteristic? No, not if you look at John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, we see this is happening. It says, verse 1, 2, and 3, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, but the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 17 and 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only God, but Jesus Christ has made Him known. So in other words, if we try and paste this together, okay, if I just take a step back, when I think of creation, God creating, I I see this, this black void, and then I see this being with this long gray beard, this old being saying, you know, with his might and his power, he's sort of like 
light. And he says, darkness. And he says, animals. You know, it's got to be that voice, right? You've got the creation voice. There's a certain voice that creates. You guys get it, right? What we're seeing here is we're seeing three persons in one. And the Bible is saying, you know, wisdom is there. And the Word is there. And God is there. And wisdom and the Word and God. And there's this three, but there's this one. And this one is creating. And the three, and this is Trinitarian language once again. John chapter 1, we're saying, seeing Trinitarian language. God is the Word, and the Word then became flesh, and His name was Jesus. Look at the picture. This is... I mean, if you look at John 1, you're seeing that they're sort of like hugging each other. They're like in each other's bosoms, right? The Word is with God, but He is God. They're, they're like, you see, they're embracing one another. And Proverbs 8 does not say that they're busy, like they're walking like this, two friends, you know. I'm going to, Dippies, quickly come join me on the stage. Come quickly, John. Okay? Yes. Here they are, okay? John, you're the tallest one, so you must stand in the middle. And you must put your hands over us, okay? Here we go. All right? It's, it's like this, you know? They're like this. They're inside each other's bosoms. But Proverbs 8 says they're not, they're not like looking at John. And John is saying, light. <laughs> That's not what is happening, okay? Proverbs chapter 8 says, I was his delight and he was my joy. Now, the Greek word for delight, you guys need to get ready for this, okay? The Greek word for delight is shashua. <laughs> and it means to dance. It means to frolic. It means to play. John wanted a heads up. Okay, so they are, yes, here we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Can we give them a hand? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're loving. They're laughing. They're dancing. They're frolicking. They're playing. They're delighting. They're rejoicing. And out of this rupturous interchange of life, creation comes forth. That is what the Bible is telling us about creation. And out of this joy, they look at each other and they huddle up and they say, hey, let's share this. Let's share this with others. And they say, all right, we've got an idea. Let us make in our image. This is the origin of all relationships. It's not just coming from the existence of three beings. It's coming from a place where these three have intimate knowledge with one another. They have boundless love for one another and they're experiencing endless joy. And you can go to the next slide. All of creation came into being out of a relationship. This relationship that had intimate knowledge, boundless love, and endless joy. They're frolicking, they're playing, they're loving, they're laughing. 
this is where we come from. It's out of this place. But it's not just that we come out of this place. It's that we came for this place. We came for this place. That brings me to my second point, the need for true relationship. If this is the kind of relationship we come from, then we desperately need this kind of relationship. And firstly, we desperately need this kind of relationship with God. Because it doesn't help that we speak about this in theoretical terms. It doesn't help that I bring a couple of cool Hebrew words for you and I tell you this in theory. You've got to know this. You've got to taste this for yourself. If we look at John chapter 17, okay, this is one of those intimate exchanges between Son, Father, Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is probably, you're probably not supposed to have favorite chapters, but I think this is my number one favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Here's why, because it's the longest exchange that we get to peer into between Jesus and the Father. It's the longest prayer recorded of Jesus Christ, and it's just Him and God, and He's talking to His Father, and He's praying, and we get insight into that intimate knowledge. And in this prayer, Jesus starts off this prayer, and He says to the Father, you have now given me authority to give eternal life to whoever I want. Anyone here who wants eternal life? Anyone? Yes? All right. Now, shop us. Do you know what eternal life is? Are you sure? Because we tend to think that eternal life is what I will inherit one day I die and I go to heaven. Then I will have eternal life. Jesus redefines it. Because the Hebrew, the Greek word he uses for eternal life is Ionios. The, the Greek word is Ionios. Now all of you know exactly what I'm speaking about, right? No. Ionios is a term that was more often used to refer to quality than it was to quantity or to time period. In other words, Jesus saying, you have given me the authority to give eternal life. He's saying, you have given me the authority to give the highest quality of life possible right now, starting right now until everyone attain into eternity for the rest of time. Amen. <laughs> Felt like I had to say another word at the end of that sentence. Okay. Jesus saying, Father, you've given me authority to give this. This is what it is. This is the definition of eternal life. Verse 3. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You said you want eternal life. You said you want the highest quality of life possible on this planet. Let me tell you what it is. It is to have intimate knowledge, to experience boundless love, to walk in endless joy with God and Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's the highest quality of life you can live. No, but what about, I mean, Europe's got a higher quality of life than South Africa, right? I mean, you've got longer life expectancy, you've got free healthcare, access to public transport, you've got uh, the, jobless, the, the joblessness there is, is, is very little, you know, the, the employment rate is amazing. Everyone is employed. You want a job, just go and clean the streets and they'll pay you like 3,000 euros a month, about 50,000 50, rand a month. Great. 
That's, that's, that's quality of life. That's what we're chasing, right, is quality of life. I'm sorry, but if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God and Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, then your quality of life, you can be sitting there, have the most amount of money in the most, most comfortable and beautiful Spanish villa, and be lonely and empty if you believe the Bible. The truth is, that if you want eternal life, then you need to know God and Jesus Christ who is sent by God. You need to know Him intimately. You need to know Him personally. You need to know His love. You need to know His joy that He gives. You need to know Him, your relationship with God. Now, I want to read you a Timothy Keller quote, what he says on this. Timothy Keller says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Because you love what you see, but you don't see everything. And I bet if you saw everything about me, you wouldn't love me anymore. So to love me is comforting, but to not know me, your love is a little bit superficial. He says, but we've got a problem, because to be known and not loved is everyone's greatest fear. That you see everything about me and you don't like me anymore, it's my greatest fear. Who on this planet will love everything about Christian Liver when they see it? He says, but to be fully known and truly loved, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. He's the only place, he's the first place that you can go to exactly as you are with everything that you have ever done and all that is you and still be loved fully. So... Um, so I, I have shared a lot about my story with you, but I used to, I used to fear rejection a lot, and it's, it's because um, coming out of, a, out of a house that is also divorced, I praise God for incredible parents that I have a brilliant relationship with now, but there was something in me that said, I don't want, I don't want this, I want a, a good wife and, and to give my children, you know, I, I want to be with my wife, I don't, I don't want to give them in a, a divorced household. And so I was really like fervent about relationships, so much so that it, I met a girl and I liked her and she liked me. She usually only liked me for about two weeks. Then I was overbearing and then she ran away and I couldn't understand why. She, just, she said she liked me and now all of a sudden she doesn't even want to speak to me. Was it the flowers? I don't know if it was the flowers. I mean, it wasn't that much. It was just uh, three times a day. Um, you know, was it the messages or the phone calls? It couldn't be the phone calls. I, mean, I just tried to phone her 12 times a day. Um, I'm just kidding. But in that rejection, um, I tried to cover up that rejection, that pain. And what I did is I became addicted to gaming and to watching videos, um, YouTube videos, because, you, you, you know, that, that dopamine release, it covers up the pain. Um, so every time I felt like a failure, or I felt like I was being rejected, I would just run back to my games or to, to the videos. And I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I even struggled with this while I came into ministry in 2015. Once I started being discipled, I started uncovering, you know, there's a trigger to this watching, and it's my rejection, it's my fear, it's feeling like a failure. Um, I started thinking, okay, well, let's get the truth in here. Let's get the truth in here. The truth is that 
God has called me. The truth is God has loved me. The truth is all of these nice things. But one day I started experiencing relationship with God. For the first time I started realizing that the one being that can fully know everything about me and never reject me is God. And the more I grew in that relationship and that knowledge, the more it became real to my heart, the, the more the desires to play a game and watch a video just started fading. I'd come home and I'd feel rejected or like a failure, but I wouldn't want to play games anymore. I recognized that it was empty. I wanted to make known to God my feeling of failure and rejection because I knew it's going to be met by love. And it always came back to relationship with God for me. If you are sitting here today and you're struggling with some habitual sin or addiction or pattern in your life, I maybe have some bad news for you, but maybe this is an anticlimax, but it's the truth. Your freedom does not lie in some medication or cleverly depicted words. And with that, I'm not saying that medication is bad. Um, please don't hear that. What I'm saying is medication might help and it, it brings relief. It makes it easier to deal with things. But it's always going to come back to relationship with God. You have been created from that place. And you have been created for that place. And every single time you feel lonely, it's because you're missing that place. And every time you experience freedom, it's because you're understanding that place. But you want to know something quite insane. Adam was still lonely in paradise. Adam was still lonely in paradise. So I made a nice picture there. Up until this point, everything God made was good. And for the first time in verse 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. So Adam was in paradise, and he was alone. Why? Did God make something that was not good? No, obviously not. God is good. But think of the implications of this, okay? Paradise had great food. Incredible food. It was much better than a scarp choppy, especially after the Springboks lost. Okay? In paradise, no Springbok lost. Okay? In paradise, Adam had dominion over the animals. He would probably like ride his lion to the next tree to harvest or something, you know? He had comfort. He was... He had beauty, he had pleasure, he had, he had everything in paradise, and yet he was lonely. Can you imagine the humility of God to do this intentionally? To create man and to say, but it is not good that man is alone. You see, because God created all humans intentionally for true relationship with God and with each other. That is our need. Our need is not just relationship with God, but it is relationship with each other. Paradise just wasn't paradise without love or friendship with other people. We need relationships with other people. We need it. Now, if you are single or widowed or divorced, 
I want to tell you that in all of history, never has a single lifestyle ever been viable until the New Testament, because Paul says Jesus Christ is the perfect bridegroom. Jesus was single, Paul was single, and for thousands of years, Christians have been okay being single and not married because Jesus is the perfect bridegroom. But not a single mission trip did Paul do intentionally alone. He always took Silas or Barnabas or someone because you're not okay without friendship. You're not okay without relationship. You will be lonely. Now, if we have this relationship with God that is intimate knowledge, boundless love, and endless joy, and we've been created for a relationship with people, then how does this relationship influence this relationship? Let's talk about that. Number one, it builds godly trust. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, I had you say this, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. If you can go to God and you can be naked before God and not ashamed because everything about you he's going to love and obviously love you too much to leave you that way, okay? We, We need to change. We just spoke about the Change Please series. But if God sees me and he loves me regardless, then I can come to people and they can also know me. And I don't have to be afraid of rejection because I have a God that accepts me. Okay, if you go to your sibling and you ask your sibling, I am broke, I need 20 rand, and they reject you, but your parents come and say, it's okay, we accept you, here's 2 million. That's basically what God is doing here. People reject you, that's okay, here's God's acceptance. Here's God's love. All we need is one person in the relationship that's able to say, I won't fear rejection, I'll make myself known. And I'll give you the opportunity to know me. Because here's a small secret for you all. A key to all great relationships is to know one another. The extent to which you know the other person is the extent to which there will be connection. So obviously, friendship relationships are meant to have friendship connection. But if you are hiding stuff from your spouse and your connection is threatened, that's not going to be a good relationship. It's not going to be good, I'm sorry. You need to be able to stand before your wife and your husband naked and unashamed. You won't be able to do that unless you stand before God naked and unashamed with every wave of love washing over you. The other influence it's going to have is going to build godly character. You see, verse 20b, God says, I will make Adam a helper fit for him. What does it mean that Adam, that Eve was a helper for Adam? Is that, does that mean that she was the errand runner? So the Hebrew word used there, yes, another Hebrew word. The Hebrew word used there is usually, I don't know what's the Hebrew word, okay, but it was used usually to refer to God. <laughs> usually when this word was used in, in, in reference to helper, it means God is my helper. And God is not our errant runner. Not at all. In fact, when God said, I will make him a helper, he made someone that was different than Adam. Guess what? The woman is different than Adam. And you can help someone who is different. 
I can help a friend in math if I know the math, they don't know the math. There's difference. God decided to make man a woman because she's different. She's got stuff that man doesn't have, that man needs. And vice versa. When we spoke about change, please, in the previous series, we were talking about number one call of God is for us to become like Jesus Christ in character. We become like Jesus. You need to surround yourself with people who's got some stuff about Jesus that you don't have. And you need to trust them and open yourself up to them because the moment you say, check me out, they're going to be able to say, hmm, that's not like Jesus. Are you going to be able to take it? Well, if you know the love of God, then you will. If you don't know the love of God, then you're going to feel rejection. You're going to feel insecure and run away. But when you have that relationship with God, you have enough security to stand on that foundation and say, call it out. Bring it on. I want to be like Jesus. There's godly character. Final one. It's going to be godly unity. It's going to be godly unity. John 17, Jesus goes on to pray this prayer. And at the end of this prayer, he says this. Or not at the end, it's in the middle. But he says this about two or three times, okay? One of the major themes in his prayer to the Father is unity. And he says, Holy Father, keep them, my disciples, my believers, in your name which you have given me, that they may be one just as we are one. Guys, Jesus Christ, right here before his crucifixion, minutes before his crucifixion, he says, Father, I came that they may have with one another and with us what we have with one another. Marika, will you join me up on stage, please? Do you understand that when sin distorted everything and caused separation between us and God, this is the relationship that we lost no intimate knowledge, no boundless love, no endless joy, because we don't have God. And from the very beginning of creation, from the fall of sin, the Trinity has been huddling and they've been saying, okay, how are we going to fix this? We knew this would happen, but we hoped it wouldn't. But we knew it would. And the Son most probably said, Father, Spirit, I'll go. I says, but Jesus, don't you understand? You're going to go and you're going to give them intimate knowledge. They're going to reject you. He says, that's okay. They can reject me so that they never, ever have to be rejected by me. I says, but Jesus, don't you know, like, they're not going to love you. They're going to kill you. He says, that's okay. They can kill me so that they can stop killing one another. They can be unified. He says, but Jesus, I'm going to hang on that cross. It's going to be sorrow. The night before they crucify you, you're going to sweat blood. He says, I'll sweat blood as long as that means they have endless joy. Father is inviting all of you to have this relationship with Him so that we can have this relationship with one another. So if you are here and you are saying, I am still separated from God, 
I have not received the forgiveness and reconciliation of Jesus Christ. But I want it today. I want to say, God, come know me intimately. Come love me without bounds and come give me that joy in this. Jesus, you're my Savior and you're my Lord. Can, will you stand up so we can pray with you that you can receive that this morning? Is there anyone like this here this morning? Right. If you this morning is saying, my relationship with God has not been my top priority. I fear rejection and I don't feel His love. I hide stuff from Him because I, and that's why I have to hide stuff from other people. There's stuff I don't want anyone to know about me because I'm afraid. I believe Jesus Christ wants to liberate you today. He was rejected that you don't have to fear it. Yes, man might reject you in their insecurities, but the Father will never. So if this morning you, want to see, you need ministry into this, you need to pray with someone to say, this relationship I commit to pursuing with all of my heart. Will you stand so we can minister to you? This is not a call of salvation. This is a call to reprioritize God in the center of your life and to restructure every single other relationship to have trust, character, and unity. Will you stand so we can minister with you? Anyone? Thank you. Thank you, God. Anyone else? This morning, you have a deep need to know the boundless love of God, regardless of what you have done and who you are. Will you stand up? We can pray that you know that, that you experience that. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. This is going to be a very intimate moment for you. Number one, you need this relationship with God. Then you'll take it to other people. Can I ask people who are around the people who have just stood up, you gather around them and minister. Minister this relationship to them. Let's do it. Let's pray for one another. Father, I pray for every ministry that's happening right now, every prayer that is being said. I thank you, Lord, for such deep and intimate relationships with you in this church. But I thank you, Father, that those relationships will not just stay within themselves. I thank you, Father, that relationship with you will always spill over into transformed relationship in this world. If there is any broken relationship, if there is any point of disunity in this church, I pray, Jesus Christ, by your Spirit, you will convict us. We will go and we will restore unity. Father, I pray that you will humble us. Father, I thank you that this morning you have come into our hearts. We can be intimately known, boundless love and endless joy. We praise you in Jesus' name.